This, 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 this is mythical. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Why does food taste so much better at restaurants? Because it's seasoned with the tears of underpaid line cooks. Tears? I thought it was sweat. It's tears. This, this is, is a hot dog, dog is a sandwich. sandwich. Ketchup is a smoothie. Yeah, I put ice in my cereal, so what? That makes no sense. A hot dog is a sandwich. A hot dog is a sandwich. <laughs> what? Welcome to our podcast, A Hot Dog is a Sandwich, the show where we break down the world's biggest food debates. I'm your host, Josh Air. And I'm your host, Nicole Inayati. And Nicole, today we have a very special guest. We got chef number one, New York Times bestselling author, ooh, that sounds good, and sworn enemy of all fast food restaurants everywhere, Joshua Weissman, welcome to the show, man. Hi, Joshua. Oh, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. Josh and I go way back, so happy to see him again. Happy to meet Nicole. Yeah. Um, we were just talking about how I'm going to soon miss Nicole as much as I miss Josh, you know? It's natural, Probably yeah. more on Yeah, we don't always have to compete with each other, but I love that we do. It yeah. keeps things fresh in our relationship. Healthy. I think it's healthy, and I think it's natural. <laughs> All right, so... Josh, you have a long restaurant background. You didn't go to culinary school. You started cooking when you were really young. You worked in some of the best restaurant groups. In mm-hmm. Austin, you worked at the Uchi Group? Yeah, High Hospitality at, uh, at Uchi Co. In, uh, in Austin. Hell yeah, man. So you have a deep restaurant background. Nicole, you briefly worked in restaurants. I think I was a line cook for about two weeks. <laughs> and then I said, F it. I said, F it. <laughs> I worked only one official restaurant shift at, and I was paid under the table. It was during a triple booked friends and family opening of Tareen on Beverly from Chef Chris Morningstar. <laughs> I was, he took me under his wing and I was working You're at his me. catering company before it opened. And then I had decided to go into media full time. And I was literally at the end of my nine to five. Mm-hmm. And I got a call from him freaking out going, I need someone to hop on guard, Marger, stack, get your ass down here. And I was like, dude, I don't work for you. Oh and instead God. I just drove from my, you know, media job. Uh, to work garmanger and basically dress salads uh, as fast as I could for about seven hours. Yeah. Um, so that is my restaurant experience, but I also used to write about restaurants. And so today we wow. all have a unique perspective on the question, why does food actually taste better in restaurants? Because there's a lot of home cooks who have this pervasive idea that it is an excess of fat and salt and possibly MSG that they couldn't possibly fathom. And I think sometimes people use that as like an excuse for their food not tasting as good as it could. I think it's part of the equation. Sure. Yeah, I think I think learning how to season your food is something that all of us learn by trial and error. And I think a lot of home cooks just kind of throw caution to the wind and put some iodized salt in it and call it a day. You know what I mean? No, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Josh, what do you think? I mean, you know, I definitely think having extra of everything is always <laughs> going to be a good thing, right? Extra yeah. salt, extra fat, extra spices. Ultimately, I think... Look, let's be real. I mean, we're talking about professionals versus amateurs. 
professionals are built to do things to the highest level of perfection. And whether it's a fine dining restaurant or just a nice restaurant, and when I say nice, I don't mean like fancy. I just mean like, you know, good line cooks, properly trained staff, people who know what the f- they're doing. Oh, sorry. There I, there I go. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta switch to the. You gotta hit the Mormon button. We're Thirty seconds in. Thirty seconds in. I've already new record. My new record for us. I want. I want to clarify for everybody listening today that I was told not to say any swear words. So I'm gonna do my very best. I think everybody here who knows me, this is gonna be one of the greatest challenges of my life. You got this. Um, you got we started swearing on the podcast, and then we started getting reviews oh that were like, "I'm an 11 year old child, and I'm not allowed to listen to this anymore in the car." And so we felt bad, so we stopped. And Mythical now you've, you, Josh, have killed that 11 year old's dream. <laughs> I get the same thing. I sometimes, uh, before I go into this, I'll make this really fast, but I get that all the time where I'll get a DM from someone's mom and they'll be like, I really just want to watch this with my son, Ricky, but I can't get over the fact that you're trying to talk about macaroni and cheese and you keep saying the F word. <laughs> Why can't you just talk about macaroni and cheese and call it a day, Josh? <laughs> and I'm like, look, I can't help myself. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I worked in restaurants. It is what it is. It's her son, it's Ricky in- Bobby. I guess. Yeah. Her, she is Ricky Bobby. Um, <laughs> Okay. So to answer the question though, yeah, obviously fat, salt, um, all those different things, but really it comes down to, I think, generally speaking, a really high attention to detail across Mm -hmm. the board from technique to seasoning to, you know, like when somebody sears a steak, for example, and they flip that steak, if there's some amount of color on it, most likely they're going to go, that's good. That's a good looking steak. Mm -hmm. But in a restaurant, if there's not edge to edge crust browning from the center all the way to the outside, that's a refire, dude. That ain't no steak. That's a refire. That's not going on anyone's plate. And so that ultimately is what it comes down to. Everything on your plate is optimized. But a lot of time when people cook at home, they just want to hammer it out, put it in their mouth and call it a day. Um, and I think that's the real biggest, biggest difference. But I can digress on that a lot. Yeah, the answer is it's everything, right? It's literally the yeah. sum. It's gestalt and it's, it's the sum of all the its parts. It's the nth degree, yeah. It's like those people who are like, if I, okay, no, I have two analogies that I can make. I'm going to make the first okay. one, then we're going to try out the second <laughs> one. The first one is people who are like, if I was that tall, I could be in the NBA. And it's like, n- no. no. Like, one, there's <laughs> plenty of not very tall people in the NBA, dudes that are 5'10 to six foot one that have had lovely Steph careers. Steph Curry. Steph Curry, he's a six foot one inch man. Um, but even the seven footers now, they have to be able to do everything. Victor Wembenyama is going between the legs, step back three no one in the history can do that. You would not have been in the NBA if you're tall. And the second one, this is a weirder analogy. It's mostly women who say, I could just sell feet pics on the internet. And it's like, no, <laughs> no, no. The me. people who actually, yes, no, the people who actually make money doing that are marketing geniuses. Like they understand every single part of the equation. And to me, <laughs> that's chefs, right? People are like, if I just added that amount of salt and butter to my food, it would be great. It's like, no, because you're not doing those things. Like, Josh, you had this uh, excellent video that was a 100 restaurant, 100 food hacks you learned as a restaurant mm-hmm. chef. And like one of them is tempering your proteins, right? Sure. Something that you showed like back to back, you get a better sear, even though the center of that protein doesn't come up to room temp, like a lot of weird recipes insist that it does. But if you are able to raise that surface temp, say five, six degrees, then that is going to be less of a shock to your pan, less steam is created, and you're going to get a better sear. It's it's that decision plus 100 more of those good decisions on one plate that mm-hmm. all add up to good things happening in your mouth. Yeah. I agree. I love that you compared it to feet picks too. That's yeah. awesome. Listen, everything is a skill. And I think a lot of people <laughs> Selling feet picks is a skill? Yes. Oh my God, I yes. I feel like, let me tell Making you. Making money selling feet picks is a skill. I feel like you could just like 
angle your camera in a right way and then just oh what's your distribution strategy nicole what which platforms are you going to use are you you going to do like so many are you going to do like what are you going on feet finder are you going to do like content sharing initiatives with other creators because they collab just like youtubers don't look up my feet on the you know for the love what i'm learning is that josh should be a manager for feet pick models. <laughs> Thank you. If you have any clients out there who need representation, I, I do have like a 4.93 wiki feet rating, which is excessively Mine high. Mine is 4.6. Mine's lower than yours. Josh, what's your wiki feet rating? Yeah, wait, yes. do you not know this? Maggie, can you look up Joshua Weissman's wiki feet rating? I'm it's sure he has one. It's blocked on our computers. computers. There's no way. I don't have any photos of my bare feet available. Are you sure? How? I'm pretty sure. I, I think my rating is only high because I've taken so many, not deliberate, but like, so this will happen when I'm cooking at home. I get great natural light if I do a top down photo at this one particular spot. So I'll hold a finished dish that I made and then I take a top down photo and then my toes are always peeking out in the background. So it'll be like, here's a tart to tan I made. And then my little toesies are in there. I remember. Oh, snap. When Josh calls me, it's a pick. What's up? No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh. Whenever Josh calls me, it's a picture of him with his feet out and with colored pencils inside. Oh, yeah. No, we we did. I don't know. Why did that happen? I don't know. I was holding five colored pencils in between all my toes and you took a picture of it. (laughs) And and then now it's your caller ID. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, Interesting. (laughs) Thank you so much. All I'm saying is. I have a 4.15. Josh. Oh no, Josh! I'm so Josh. sorry. You have a 4.15 Weissman. rating. You have a 4.15. Wait, how am I on Wiki Feet? <laughs> I, I don't, don't know. know what to tell you the fans <laughs> probably put it up somewhere. Annalise, what are the photos like? Can you just come show me the photos real quick? So what we're saying <laughs> is the amount. Josh doesn't care about this. Let's see my feet. Let me see. Yeah, I think it's it's more a low rating because you don't have enough photos uh-huh, out there. So uh-huh. take more photos, got get it, some good it, good lighting in there, get a bounce board maybe, mm-hmm. and you can I gotta work on my wiki rating. Okay, heard, heard, heard. Listen, there is statistical evidence to say that there is a lot more fat and salt. We're back, baby. Yeah, yeah A yeah. lot more fat and salt in restaurant food. There's a study, uh, LA Times published a report about it, that the average restaurant meal, they surveyed, th- surveyed 3,500 meals, the average restaurant meal contains 150% of the recommended daily value of sodium. So if you multiply oh, that by shoot. three, you're at 450%. That's a so lot. Like, but again, when you are learning how to cook, like Chef Chris Morningstar, dude who was very classically trend, French trained, worked at the Patina Group, Michelin star pedigree, all that, mm-hmm. he taught me the phrase uh, like season to the edge, right? Like season to sure. the point yeah. where if you taste it and you go one grain of salt, it'd be too salty, you know? And so I was talking to oh, my friend. So yeah. I was taught the exact same thing in a restaurant that I worked in and they had a technique. Granted, I don't use this technique anymore because I just, I know by my palate, but when I was first learning how to season, I had a chef that used that as an example where he would say, you know, keep seasoning your sauce, season it to the edge. And the way that you can tell quite literally is by dipping a spoon in your, you know, let the, let's just say it's a, I don't know what, any kind of sauce. And uh, you dip your spoon in it, you get like a quarter of a teaspoon. And it, if you add taste it and it's good. And if you add one grain of salt to it or two grains of salt to it, and it is now over seasoned, then it is where it needs to be. I, I love that. So meticulous. And I understand people who have salt sensitivities out there. I don't think, I also am generally dubious of the, you know, health implications of excess salt. I, I happen to think that's a little bit more correlation than causation, but also uh-huh. follow your doctor's recommendations, whatever. But um, there was one time when, 
my fiance's boss, shout out Bill O'Dowd, if you're listening to this podcast, he loves chili more than anything in the world. I also chili love chili. Chili as in like, like tex- Texas a bowl of Texas chili. Red, chile uh-huh. con carne. Uh-huh. And I made it for him for his birthday and I went all out, you know, hand diced the chuck to the appropriate amount, rendered it, effect- effectively made like a tarka with like the beef fat and the spices. Yeah. I went all out on this chili and as it was finished, Julia tasted it and went like, oh, that's good. And I went, yeah, give me a couple minutes. And I basically sat there and went teaspoon of vinegar, you know, half teaspoon of salt, stir, dry vinegar, salt. And it was a pro it was, a, and she was going crazy. Cause she's like, it's done. It's good. And I'm like, no, I, there's so much beef fat in it that I know it can handle a ton of acid and a ton of salt. And those three things are going to sort of coalesce. They're going to harmonize with each other. And I'm waiting to get to the breaking point. And I did. And also it's going to mellow over like half hour, but to your point, that's like how a chef seasons, right? Yes. You're seasoning nope. every single step. And then at the end, you are fine tuning. I don't know what to say to the people, though, who go, I don't want that much salt in my diet. Because for me, I'm like, well, you should be sweating it out with an hour of CrossFit every morning. What are you not doing? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's it's, a lifestyle it's thing. Fascinating. It's a great that you described it really wet, uh, really great way, which is, you know, taking it to the breaking point and fine tuning at the end. I mean, I've done sauces and dressings and, you know, we did, I had like this Tom Kagai inspired uh, prawn dish that I was doing and mm-hmm. the broth, it was a really small amount of broth that went in onto the plate. It was, you know, it's fine dining. So it's like, you know, maybe two ounces of sauce, not even like one ounce of sauce. So this sauce needs to quite literally be absolutely perfect because all they get is an ounce. And I would typically whenever the prep cooks were, would make it, it would be like, I don't know. 20, 15 to 20 minutes of them sitting there just seasoning it perfectly with Damn. vinegar, palm sugar, and fish sauce, vinegar, yes. palm sugar, fish sauce. and trying to get that sugar level the right place, get the acidity to the right place, and then get the salt to the right place. And the, the way that I knew that it was there is when you would take a spoonful in your mouth would just instantaneously water mm. profusely. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's where it is. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So this might be a case where <laughs> the things that make restaurants good, one, it's the technique, it's the expertise, it's the sure. years and years and years of training. But two, listen, there is going to be a lot of salt. Salt and fat are great ways to harmonize with other ingredients, Absolutely. right? With herbaceous, herbaceousness, with spice, with acid. But us three, like, I'm, I'm sure we all cook a fair amount at home, especially for our partners. We've all made some sort of content on that. Yeah. And we all cook somewhat healthily, you know? At home, yeah. At home. You have to. How do you make that food? Because I will see a video of, say, I was watching, it was Best Bet Pizzeria, a new pizzeria in LA I haven't tried yet, but they finish a pizza and then they just take olive oil and they just go glue, 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 glue over the top. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, damn, that's a pizza. And, you know, my fitness ass is like, that's just an additional 420 calories of olive oil. In olive oil? Uh, olive oil, there's like 240 calories. And again, I don't count calories, but I am mindful You're of aware what of what's being Especially because when on. we're cooking on camera, we're sure. eating, you know, the most in- intense food in the world. Sure. 
And so what can you do to sort of negate that excess amount of salt and fat at home to still make your food taste as good as restaurant food? Spices. That's my answer. Bam. Bam. Pow. I'm sorry. I don't know why I yelled that. <laughs> I mean, spices are, spices are a great way to diversify the flavor. But like, honestly, I, I'm going to have to drop some hard truths. <gasps> drop them. The reality is you can add as many of your favorite spices in the world from all over the globe. Source it from Mumbai for all I care. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Wherever your spices come from does not matter if you do not have enough salt to amplify the mm. flavor to be detected by the human palate. Boom, boom, so boom. nobody wants to sit down and spoon feed themselves a tablespoon of their favorite curry spice. Because to be honest, it's not going to be that good on its own. You need the fat, you need the salt, mm -hmm. you need the acid. That's what makes the dish. The reason why these dishes are famous and popular, the people that are making these foods from those regions, they are not thinking about the sodium content, the mm -hmm. sugar content. They are making it the way that it was intended to be made to be delicious for their families, for their friends, for their customers. I have to ask, do either of you get offended whenever you make, you know, a beautiful dish for like dinner and then uh, salt and pepper is on the table? Do you guys have salt and pepper on oh, your kitchen yeah. tables? You do. You get offended. I get I get offended. I don't put salt. We don't have I don't have salt and pepper shakers in any Me of either. No, no, do you have salt I. and Absolutely pepper shakers? Not. I grew up in a salt and pepper shaker on my table. Well, home. I'm sure we all grew up in salt and pepper shaker homes, right? Yes, well I did. And then now that I'm like an adult and like I'm married and I make meals for my family all the time, it's like don't you dare put any salt on that. It's seasoned well. Yeah. Do you ever get a, you never get a fan? Oh yeah. No, no. It happens, happens all the time. Um, <laughs> Julia's mom, shout out Susan. I know she listens. Hi Susan. Um, we went to Petit Trois French Bistro and she, <laughs> and they, I listen, I've had seasoning issues there. They make good food, but I have had seasoning Me issues. Too. And I she straight to. like asked for salt and the server was like mortified. And then like, I, I'm like looking in the back and I see the chef like arguing. Um, and so, yeah, but this happens occasionally to me. I don't take it personally. I mean, I don't love it. It hurts me inside. I don't I try love not it. to show it. But yeah, me too. Whenever I see, I don't even have a salt shaker. I have a salt well that I use. Yeah, Julia has to get up and leave the table and go yeah. to the salt well, get a little diamond crystal kosher and That's sprinkle it on. That's what David does. And but, I'm like, put the salt down. <laughs> What's even worse is if they don't taste it and then they ask for it before they even taste it. Oh. And I'm like... Whenever they do that, my first thought is like, listen, sweetheart, I know you're used to unseasoned food, but you're in the wrong house for that. Just sit down and shut up. It's going to be great. So I'm ridiculous. Glad, I'm glad none of us have any weird complexes about Not even a little bit. No. Sounds like we're all super well-adjusted. Yeah, it. super. Um, conversely, on the rare occasion that Julia cooks for me when I'm like coming home late from work or I have to go to the gym late or something, um, I won't use salt. I will just grab two to three bottles of hot sauce. Oh and my then God. whatever she has cooked just gets flooded in hot sauce. Then I muddle it into a nice soup, like a chowder. Oh my God. And then that's enough seasoning for me. It's just a fail safe. It wow. doesn't matter what is on the table. There will be three bottles of hot sauce. It's sriracha, which is going to be very expensive in like a month. <laughs> Tapatio and some random like rogue one that we found. Three hot sauce bottles, no matter what we're eating. Doesn't matter if it's eggs. It doesn't matter if it's kormasabzi. It doesn't matter if it's sushi. There is always three hot sauce bottles. My, it's my husband. It's not me. And I'm like, can you taste the food you're eating? I'm like, let's do an experiment. And I literally round, round up, like round up the hot sauce. I'm like, eat that without hot sauce. And he's like, mm -mm. so I just put him back. Bro, does he, does he ever like at least try it first without the hot sauce? Um, no, he just, he just 
puts it on. He piles it on without even trying it. I respect that. (laughs) I want to run through some other hypotheses of what actually makes restaurant food better than home-baked food. So one of my things, and again, this is from a very privileged position as somebody who's pretty damn good at cooking. Mm -hmm. I have started using the adjective post restaurant to describe myself. Ugh. I'll get invited. I know I'm, I'm post restaurant. I'm post restaurant. So every new restaurant is they're doing rustic Italian and I don't want to pay $22 for your spag bowl or for your, you know, whatever, uh, your post restaurant. I'm post restaurant. Most restaurants, Ugh. the only restaurants I want to go to are restaurants that can do something that I can't. That's, and that's, I get that. There are a couple ways that you can get there. One is through expertise. So for instance, uh-huh. one cuisine that I've tried to cook a lot of and I've tried to study uh, a lot of the techniques, shout out to Nick Sharma who wrote some great books about it, is Indian cuisine. Where mm-hmm. to me, that is a cuisine that you can learn, but when you grow up and it's endemic to you, the techniques, everybody, there was a big wave of restaurants. I was like, we do Thai flavors with French technique. French technique to me is not the end all be all of technical cookery. I find a lot of Indian technical cookery to be just freaking beautiful Mm -hmm. and you have to know a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So Indian food, something that a restaurant can significantly make better than I can. And then number two is specialized equipment. Kabob. Oh yeah. You go to mini Kabob, right? Great Armenian restaurant in Los Angeles. They are using uh, grapevines. They're using dried grapevines on their grill, Nicole. And that's something that I can't do. So those are like really big reasons for me to go to a restaurant and things that make the food taste a lot better than I could ever do at home with my stupid little gas grill. You know? No, I totally I think know what you get Josh, uh, I think we need to get Josh a Tondor. Dude, really I... Get, really get cranked. 100%. I think he... You live in an apartment, right? Yeah, but like there's no specific <laughs> no Tondor rules in the HOA yeah. agreement. You know? Probably the HOA doesn't even know what it is. That's what I'm honest. saying. Oh my god! And then I'll say that it's racism if they don't let me get a tundra. Just buy a house, <laughs> buy a house in like what 85 years. Yeah. And then you can build a tandoor in your house. But no, like like a tandoor is a perfect... Uh, so if you cook non at home, right? And it's you never the same. You just throw it on like an electric griddle or you have yeah. a flat top. It is not the same of taking that non on a hook and throwing it against or slapping it with your hand against the clay of a tandoor yeah. where you get... Josh, you talk about the perfect sear on a steak all the way around. Oh, yeah. The perfect freaking caramelization it's on not- the non from being stuck to the clay. Ugh. I have one outside. God, I use it coming over. It's great. No way. Although it's 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 pillow, it's pillow first. The so the the flatbread would go on the pillow, and then you you use the pillow. Yeah, that's to right. Slap yeah. it against the wall, and then the hook is what gets it off. That's right. That's um, right. That's and where it falls into the bottom. Um, yeah, I mean, I use mine m- more frequently than I thought I would, and genuinely, like honestly, if you just pull a fresh any any flatbread, it could be non. But like, if you pull fresh naan out of there and immediately hit it a little bit of ghee and garlic and eat it right then and there, like seconds after it came out, it is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. There's no. I'm trying so hard to say this without cursing. You got this. I I I believe in you. Find those SAT (laughs) words. You know. Did you see my brain working? You can probably hear it through the microphone. Yes. Yes. Sweating. Not to say that word. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh! It's really. It is really. It's an otherworldly experience. So there's there's nothing better than that, truly. And it makes great proteins outside of mm. you know tandoori chicken. You can still do all sorts of different things. I've done. I've just taken cubed up steak and you know did a quick dry age. Uh, maybe like a, I think I did a some sort of like rice salt uh, dry age on a, a steak and then cubed it up, put it on a, a, a one of the tandoori rods, 
put it in there. It was one of the best steaks I've ever had. Mm. It's insane. Damn. What are, what are the like restaurant experiences that y'all seek out these days? Well, I went to Ooh. Alinea and it like was I really went, awesome. My name's Nicole. I went to Alinea. That I, was really cool. I ate a balloon. Like as a food person, I, I like checked it off my list. Yeah. And I'm like, that was really cool. I could never do that at home. I understand how they did it and I respect how they did it, but there's no way in hell I could do anything. Uh, like 1% of what they did. And that level of fine dining is a combination of everything. It's equipment that you would never have. It's expertise that you would never have. It's ingredients that you would never have. It's time that you would never have. And then it's seasoning. Best 30th right? birthday ever. So that <laughs> you, have to, you have to have like an insane amount of context on technique in order to start playing with food like that. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you have to know, you have to have, you have to already have been a full master of many cuisines because if you don't have that baseline structure good luck being artistic like that mm -hmm. good luck um but yeah that's man i don't know it's been a while since i've had like a earth-shattering restaurant experience don't get me wrong i do have my you know my go-to restaurants that i love that i think are amazing but one that i would sit down and be like oh yeah that's like the best meal i've had in x amount of years it's tough i mean i don't know it doesn't have to in be New fine York, dining either it, it doesn't, doesn't have to be fine to. dining you know, it, it can be not. You know, any, it can be a taco truck, anything, sure. sushi. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I have to think on that. I don't know if I have one in uh, this year that I've really just been totally blown away by. He's post restaurant. Are He's you post restaurant, post -restaurant just like now? me? <laughs> Wait, nobody, I don't really know. What is that exa exactly? Explain to the man what post restaurant is. To be is. post restaurant, Josh, is to have gone completely clear of mind and to have realized that 99% of restaurants are not worth the money whatsoever it's like when somebody finally stream apocalypses themselves and they're like i have nine streaming services and i watch zero of them because it's all bad i'm going to delete them all and just watch youtube chefs which i support everybody doing <laughs> um but no I've, I've i've gone through my own sort of phase on that but it made me realize and hone in the foods that other places can do better than i can which like one of my favorite restaurant experiences in the world is in Austin, Texas, mm. uh, Valentina's Tex-Mex Barbecue. Oh, yeah. You've told it me is, about this. It is the most Solid. beautiful handmade flour tortillas. And then some of the top beef rib and brisket that I've ever had up that with the best of the best in Austin. And then, of course, they have like all their homemade salsas. So you're just plying these tortillas that I could never make as good at home with brisket and beef rib that, again, I don't have the capabilities or time or expertise to do. Mm -hmm. And then salsas that are dating back generations that are just delicious oh, wow. wrapping it up slurping it down that sounds so, and so those are the experiences that i find myself chasing these days because some people are right you go to a chili's a cheesecake factory that is absolutely food that you, you can make the chicken fettuccine bow tie cajun pasta at cheesecake factory at home if you have the will to throw that much butter Fair. into a dish and i agree with those people however when you say stuff like restaurants are only good because of fat and salt you're then like negating the beautiful expertise and traditions that people have been working for for so long. That was beautiful. And you're negating the marketing capabilities of these women with the feet. Sure, are the feet beautiful? Yes, but it's the <coughs> distribution methods. David has this like David's toes, so he has like so he has like his big toe, and then his uh, little toe goes over his big toe, and he was born that oh, way. Gosh, wow. Yeah, and then you know what he says? You make a lot of money. He says. Oh, this is like the feet of royalty. And I'm like, you're disgusting. <laughs> uh, Josh, I want to ask you a question. What are the couple tips that you have for home cooks that could get their food to be more like restaurant food? It's a good question. It doesn't start with feet, unfortunately. I know oh, you oh, feet, but God. We're out. I know. 
I know we're out. All right, guys, really great podcast. Thank you so much. Show, uh, them, show me them tootsies before you go out, Josh. Get me out of here. And I'm going to end this with as many f bombs this show has ever had. Here we go. Uh, no. So anyway, um, yeah, I mean, ways that people can make their food closer to restaurant quality. Honestly, and I this is going to sound like a dead horse. That's getting beaten, to be specific. That's some, you know, in, in the way that I just stated that, <laughs> probably like not ideal. Dead horse. horses say, are typically hey, silent. Hey, Hang on, wait. Rewind. Rewind. <laughs> I'm beating a dead horse with this one, which is ultimately you can kind of distill everything down into technique. And if you want your food to even be remotely or even just a step closer, to restaurant quality or restaurant that you love, then sit back and find something that you really enjoy making, whatever it is. Let's make it simple. Let's call it a burger, right? Mastering a great burger is not that hard. Then break it down and get really, really good at the technique from top to bottom. How you smash the patty, how hard you smash it. What are you smashing it on? Is it a cast iron or is it a, a plancha? What is the plancha made out of? Is it is it carbon steel? What is it? How thin is it? How thick is it? How well does it retain heat? What type of salt are you using? How much are you seasoning it? How much cheese do you put? What kind of cheese? What kind of buns? So on. I could go on and on about this for hours. But the point is, dive deep onto one thing and see what it's like when you dive deep on technique and watch how it changes what you make. And I guarantee you that once you figured that one thing out, it'll be a domino effect on everything else you make. Damn, that's beautiful. That was awesome. Nicole, what you got? I don't know. I just got chills by what he said. <laughs> Hold on. Give me like three seconds <laughs> to retain, to compose myself. You need, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, you need that like epiphany moment, I think. Yeah. I've noticed a big difference between people who don't cook at all and like despise cooking. And then there's this other party that like, almost like it too much. I like to take a step yeah. back and I'm like, yo, chill. Like you're a normal uh, person. You don't have to do all this, right? Um, and what I've realized is the difference is that one of them had an epiphany moment when they were cooking or when they were eating that made them realize that they had the ability and the capability mm -hmm. to do those things. And they dove deep on one thing and it just became this really cool element. And we're the only animal on the planet that cooks our food. So everyone has the capability in their own DNA to make something great. But if you never have that moment that realizes that empowers you to do so, then you never will. So you got to have that one. And I think that's how people will probably get it. Uh, it you know, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sounding a little soapboxy here today. No, man. I mean, I, I love it. This is literally, it's we incredible. host a podcast. This is the human equivalent of an eternal soapbox. And we have a great deal of shame about it. Um, but also, I mean, it's for communicating messages <laughs> like that, that I couldn't agree with more. Uh, agree. Buy this man's book. God, he's a walking box of knowledge. Hey, it's out there. You know, it's right. It's right back there. I'll tell you what. Thank you, Josh. Big plug. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, 
as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. All right, Nicole and Josh, we've heard what you and I have to say. Now it's time to find out what other wacky ideas are rattling out there in the universe. Well, it's time for a segment we call Opinions Opinions Are Like Casseroles. That's the vaguely what the music sounds like, right? I think I'm eight. What's it? Atonal, tone deaf. You're definitely atonal. Can't do it. Uh, but anyway, yeah, time to start kicking in. Time to start kicking in that budget for the music. Let's go. <laughs> listen, listen. I got, I, I got the best feet in the game. I again, one man can't have it all. Um, Dude, that's a holy revenue stream for you. <laughs> I know, man. Yo, that's my insurance right, policy. Sorry. If I ever get fired from this place, I'm just saying. Good for you. Thank you. Uh, so what we've done? What we've done? We have queued up a bunch of our fans uh, to give their hot takes about restaurants. Mm-hmm. Josh, we're going to go ahead and read them off. You get first crack at taking on their hot take. That's right. Nicole, you want me to read the first one? I'll do the first, you one. Do the first one. Okay, Dad Bod God says, chain restaurants are better than local ones for the reason of consistency. You can go anywhere and get the same meal. Do I like that? No. Am I wrong? No. How do you feel, Mr. Weissman? Uh, oh, okay. Right. Reminder, no curse words. That's just dead wrong. I would argue that chain restaurants have more inconsistency than local restaurants because they're spread out Mm. by significantly more locations, more managers, which means the information that is required to execute a proper product has now been diffused by a multitude of more people, which means more inconsistency. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, that is exactly why my older series, But Better, exists. Well, one of the reasons, not the only reason. To prove how inconsistent they are, one of my favorite things is that I'll post a video and beat the poopy. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good, guys. Poopy. Beat the poopy. Can I say poopy? I can oh, say you, poopy. you can say uh, it like 15 times if you want. That was great. <laughs> awesome. You know, out of like, let's say McDonald's, uh, I don't know, uh, burger, right? And then everyone will be like, well, typically it doesn't taste like that, Josh, because like, you know, the McDonald's near me is a whole lot better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you probably just had a bad one. And I'm like, okay, cool. So you're saying Mr. Multi-billion dollar corporation can't have consistency? Bro, if they can't, ain't nobody going to have it. So anyway, that's my digression on that. Yeah, especially with the franchise model, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you, I, I've gone to McDonald's in Europe and they tend to be more consistent and um, 7-Elevens in Japan are another great example sure. where everybody raves about how good the food is. I totally understand that. America though, uh, thanks Ray Kroc and unfettered capitalism, we just spread all that so thin. People are underpaid. They tend to not care when you are a mega, million, mega billion dollar corporation. Sure. That's underpaying yeah. them. So I've found... Even at uh, mid-level chain restaurants, Applebee's. I've gotten a steak at Applebee's that was supposed to be like a sirloin, and it was just like this mangled, gristly mystery cut. Mm. And I was like, I wish that was true, and that's supposed to be the benefit of a chain restaurant, that it's consistent, but they're just not. You can get an inconsistent meal anywhere, but at least if it's a mom and pop that's run well, I think you can get people to care a little bit more about the quality of your food. Okay, I agree with you guys, but there's one caveat. When you go to the airport... (laughs) I will only eat at a chain restaurant in an airport. I will not eat any random, like, like I don't know, like a random restaurant. I will eat... <laughs> I will eat Panda Express at, like, 8 in the morning. That's a good... Panda's I will a eat good Panda example. Express 10 at night. I will eat it Actually, at any time. 
Now that you say that, I actually think out of all the chain restaurants in the world, I think Panda Express might be the most consistent. Yes. In yes. So, which is weird. Sorry, I learned this from my sister because my sister's like, oh my gosh, I've gotten food poisoning so many times whenever I eat at like small mom and pop restaurants and yeah. airports or whatever, or like small little places. And I'm like, you're right. So <laughs> this, I agree with you unless I'm in an airport. Shout yes. out to Panda Express. Man. I they love do Panda work. Express they do good work. in airports. And they're actually cooking in walks too, which is like, you know, they're cooking relatively fresher than a lot of they're fast food. They're low-key killing it. Yeah. Low-key. Um, all right. So we got at Austin Lico. I want every restaurant's music playlist to be 100% employee made. Have everyone, kitchen, front of house, <laughs> bar, any other service position, work together to make a Spotify blend and play it on shuffle. Oh, absolutely not. Oh my God. No way. No way, dude. There's going to be someone named, there's going to be someone named Ricky that's like a busser and he's going to want to play some, something crazy. He's going to want to play something that's like got all the wrong things in it. Norwegian that is gonna black make metal. Uncomfortable. Mm. Do what? Norwe he's going to play Norwegian black metal. Bussers love Norwegian black metal. It's Hate American prog metal. That's true. Or it's going to be like really weird independent SoundCloud rappers that like make weird noises like, I, I, you know, in the middle of the beat. And you're like, what's going on here? Wow. Is that sexy red on ponder. the podcast? That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> sexy red. What color is your ski? Um, do you want me to answer <laughs> yeah, this? Yeah, Nicole, Nicole, you, you're on the floor. Um, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. No, uh, music. Let me tell you the Chipotle music creator, whatever his name is. Mm. He did good work. I think every restaurant at a certain point, like whenever you reach that like point where you are franchising and stuff like that, if you're a chain, you should have a designated playlist and it should be that designated playlist forever. I also like, sorry to interrupt no, you, Josh, go, go, go. but the other thing is also branding, right? Like they yeah. got to have brand consistency. So if it's a legit, like if it's not just like some walk in and eat and get out, but like most restaurants have a brand identity and they got to have yeah. the right music that fits the vibe. And, uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, Vespertine, for instance, I believe two Michelin star restaurant, um, <laughs> from chef Jordan Kahn, they made all of their servers wear goat skin slippers so as to not make a sound when they walk around. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it was mangling all their feet kind of ended up being a bit of a situation, but they got a, this experimental indie ambient noise band from Austin to write them a soundtrack just to play in the restaurant. So I think it does come to the brand. Um, some of my favorite restaurant music experiences are like Anna Jack Tide, Justin Peachette Rungsi, yeah. 90s hip hop head. You go in there, there's Wu-Tang blasting and you're eating grilled razor clam tostadas outside sure. in an alley. Music to me can add to the ambiance. And I love that they want to democratically source it. I just think you'd end up with a strange, it'd be like democratically sourcing a menu being like everyone busser, you get to put a dish on the menu tonight. It's like, well, let's yeah. have some consistency. I think the person that wants that has no idea and is not actually thinking about what the end product would be like when they're in a restaurant. I think they would walk into a restaurant that was like that and they'd be like, this is awful. That was a terrible <laughs> idea. Well, meanwhile, that, that restaurant is literally going under because of them. <laughs> All right. Our next opinion. Uh, Existential Dread Barbie says, too many restaurants have a spin on the Caesar salad and most of them are awful. Why are there tomatoes? Mm. Oh, that's great take. Great take. Caesar salad is a very simple thing. You make your anchovy dressing, you put it on romaine lettuce. You can add croutons if you like, although I would definitely recommend it. A little bit of extra parm on top. Call it a day. It is what it is. 
It's like it's like whenever someone one of my least favorite things of all time. It's like when someone puts arugula. All right, again, no cursing. I'm reminding myself. <laughs> when someone puts arugula on a burger, I'm sorry if if either of you guys do this and enjoy it, but respectfully, no. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No. I'm so sorry. You <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Nicole. But you just can't do that. Or, or or maybe like broccoli on a broccoli on a pizza. You know, it's just I like love, love, that. love that. I love oh. broccoli on pizza. Oh, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> nice now, no, no, Come back, come back. Arugula <laughs> on a burger for me is gonna be like how our parents would just like put cottage cheese on it. They'd be like, yeah, you eat this with cottage cheese yeah. and that's a breakfast. Yeah, yeah. It's like a moment in time that I'm stuck in because like 2011, 2012, the fa- big fancy burger uh, movement. Farmer, farmer, father's office? Father's office was the Farmer's office. <laughs> <laughs> but like for me, arugula on a burger, I, I don't even like it. I don't like the taste of it. It's it's flat. It's dense. It's like a little bit bitter and peppery, I which I, I like. I love it. But it to me still like signifies a time in my life where I paid at the time like $12, $13 for a burger, which was a lot. And you get like an $8 beer that was like, this is a smoked double chocolate stout IPA that has 9%. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're there and pay with your fake ID at a freaking gastropub. So to me, that's a moment in time. And I, I refuse to apologize. How do Wait, you Nicole, feel? why don't you like, or why do you like arugula on a burger? I genuinely am curious. Like, what do you like about it? Um, Because it's yummy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, going, I'm, I'm, being, no, I'm, tr- I'm truly curious. Um, I just like, okay, so there's this place called Father's Office that does a really delicious burger, and it's like on, what kind of bread is it on, Josh? Like French? It's on a French roll. It's, it's on, on like a okay. bolio, like an oblong. Okay, it's on It's on like a bolio. It has blue cheese, bacon, onion, jam, and arugula on it, and it's a perfectly delicious, yummy there's burger. There's another cheese. It's like Telegio. Is it it's Telegio? It's like Telegio It's not blue, blue cheese? Oh, it's both. It's both. It's and the so burger, good. the burger is at points, it was invented in 1999. Uh, and literally is responsible for kicking off this big, beautiful, buxom, bodacious burger trend. Yeah. So there'd be no umami burger, you know, uh, no yeah. Jean-Georges burger, none of this without uh, Chef Sang-Yoon at Father's Office. Yeah. And um, you can still go back today and it holds up in its own way. The burgers are, they're, they're char-grilled and they're super thick and they will be like to the point of tartare. Yeah, they're raw. <laughs> often. They're like straight up raw. No ketchup. Which, you know, it, yeah. they're house ground so it's food safe and they have signs that say no ketchup and yeah. it's dark, it's dim, the seats are uncomfortable and I love it. I love it. I love arugula on a burger. Do I like it more than a California style in and out burger? Mm, different experience. Different experience. Yeah, I agree. Also, broccoli on pizza is so good. Have you yeah, ever dude, had a sucks. Have you, you, had a, what are you, have you ever had a vegetable pizza before in your existence of living? Of course, but broccoli is just like a weird one, dude. Like that's it's like a fart in my weird. mouth. I'm not <laughs> expecting. You got to pay extra for that. Um, Caesar salad. We Caesar's- should go into another sentence, but no, no. I want to talk about talk Caesar salad. salad. Talk about Caesar salad. Caesar salad. You, me, you, me. Um, yeah, Caesar salad is one of those things. If I see tomatoes in it, I'm like, ew, this is yeah. disgusting. I literally want to tweeze them out because there's yeah, no tomato, bacon, hard boiled egg. Anything you add to yeah, it, the hard boiled egg, I've had like in a deconstructed like Caesar, and it was like, okay, <laughs> Caesar salads are barely constructed. You don't need to de- <laughs> that's like deconstructing a sandcastle. I You're had just it, kicking it down. I had it at Tom Colicchio's <laughs> restaurant in, in Vegas, and it was just fine. But there's nothing better than an ice cold Caesar yeah. salad with a homemade anchovy be dressing yeah. and those beautiful shaves Dude. of parm and a really nice crispy crunchy crouton. Mm. 
It's like the perfect salad. The way that you can play, this is like Josh was talking about learning fundamentals. So then you can play within the rules of sure. what makes something good. Sure. There's ways to play with the Caesar salad within the rules, like making a Parmesan Frico is a great way to grill in it. Add the crunch, yeah. you know. You, yeah, I mean, lightly grill that. Mm-hmm. You know, Caesar. I don't know if I love grilled lettuce all that much. Um, but one of the best Caesar salads, you go to like John and Vinny's. Yeah. They do one of my favorite things instead of croutons. It's toasted breadcrumbs that are very, very heavily seasoned. Yeah. So and the lettuce is kept in yes. really whole big pieces. There's a little bit of Calabrian chili in the dressing mm-hmm. and everything in that still has the flavor profile that Caesar still eats like a Caesar salad, sure. and, but everything's just optimized and crunched up. And I love sure. that. That's the way you play. One salt. last opinion. Salt. Yeah. salt. No, for real. Salt. Do you, do you season your, so <clears throat> this is another technique that I learned uh, working in. Uh, well, actually you were talking about dressing salads for Garmage. I yeah. wonder if they taught you this because they should have. Um, a great salad dresser on Garmage before they add any dressing, they're going to add a pretty generous handful of ideally Maldon or finishing salt, which adds crunch. But also when you add the dressing, it's going to it's gonna kind of mix with the dressing and, and salt, uh, salt the greens a little bit. Because mm-hmm. if you think about it, you season a dressing perfectly with salt. You taste it. It's nice and salty. But guess what? You now added... Uh, an ingredient that's full of water, which is now going to diffuse that now perfectly salty dressing and it's going to become immediately undersalted. So you have to add more salt directly to the veg. Mm -hmm. I was taught that in culinary school when we had garbanje in culinary school. Yeah, we did. It was like a shaved Brussels thing with like a caramelized shallot vinaigrette or something. But yeah, it was like especially cabbage too. Like definitely salt that, but not too early or else it bleeds. But then you salt it right before, toss it, bingo, bingo. Um, This is a great opinion. This is a great opinion. Last opinion. Last one, last one. Uh, if you go to a restaurant and see a big sweaty dude wearing a bandana outside, smoking a cigarette and talking on a flip phone, that's about to be the best food you've ever had. Nothing will come close to the pure, pure joy you experience. That's at Tholomukes. Big sweaty dude, bandana, cigarette, flip phone. They have to be sweaty. Yeah. For sure. Yes. For sure. Um, I couldn't agree more. I think that's super true. And he, he chain smoking cigarettes mm. and ideally... Ideally, he should have at least three to four cigarette butts next to him that have already been totally demolished. And on top of that, he should be yelling yeah. on the phone for no reason. Yeah. And he could be talking about something completely normal, like, hey, did you remember to take the dog out? He'd be like, did you remember to take the dog out? You know, that that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that pressure cooker situation, you know, that, that you really need. If this is a woman, I know it's going to be the best meal. Ah, uh, yes. If it's a woman with a bandana like this, apron, flip phone, Yelling at the top of her lungs, smoke chain smoking cigarettes. I know that's going to be a good. Yeah, um, classic Americana style tattoos. You could tell yeah, in yeah, high yeah. school she was a greaser and into rockabilly. Yeah, she like uh, mm-hmm. what's that thing where you go on the roller skates and you punch people? A roller derby, a roller, roller derby, derby player. Yeah, yeah. Alternate. There's a line cook. There's a line cook that comes out the door and then sees that she's out there and immediately turns around and goes back. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. Um, I will say, if you see anybody in this particular position, and this spans many different cultures, ethnicities, and countries and continents, but if they are squatting with both feet firmly on the ground, heels raised, but almost at the same level as their heels, if they are squatting in that position while smoking a cigarette outside looking absolutely miserable... That to me is going to be the best. It could be Ukrainian, it could be Vietnamese, it could be Brazilian, Chile. Anybody in yeah. that position, they have cooked some great milk food. Crate. In their life. Milk crate, baby. No, the milk, milk crate. crate. Yeah, milk yeah. Crate. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And they're squatting next there to the is. milk crate. There's a milk crate to sit in, but no, they're sitting in the squat because they're comfy and they've been. Yeah. Yeah. 
God dang. Well, I'm all riled That's up. That's what the flavor is. <laughs> On that note, thank you all for listening to A Hot Dog is a Sandwich. We got new audio-only episodes every Wednesday and a video version here on YouTube every Sunday. And if you want to be featured on Opinions or Like Casseroles, you can hit us up at 833-DOGPOD1. The number again is 833-DOGPOD1. Extremely drawn out, Nicole. Thank you. And you can purchase <laughs> Joshua Weissman's new book, Joshua Weissman, Texture Over Taste, right now. Josh, you got anything else you want to plug? No, this is great. I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you for having me on. This was a great chat. One of the better chats I've had. I appreciate Aww, the love and appreciation for uh, great food and, uh, and and proper execution and not BS. It's good stuff. Love Can't you guys. BS, BSers. Can't BS a BSer. BSer. Uh, No, likewise, man. This is super fun. Uh, mad respect for everything you've been doing. Um, catch you soon. Yeah, see you guys soon. I'll be in LA. Let's get together. Hell yeah. Bye, guys. Bye.